As you take your seats, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to the Gospel of Matthew. Once again, we will look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, as we continue to work our way through the Sermon on the Mount. We find ourselves, as we began to look at it last week, really, really sinking our teeth into some extremely practical, concrete application of everything that, that Jesus has been teaching up to this point about the, the virtues and the values and the practices of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God that exists in that realm of his unopposed glory that Jesus has said is coming to, to dwell on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we pray that in the Lord's Prayer. And this is for the world to begin to, to see in us that we are the ambassadors of the heavenly places as those who have been made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And we manifest... We manifest God and uh, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the way that we embrace and embody God's truth, goodness, and beauty in very real, very tangible, very practical ways. And what we look at or looking at this morning is, is what that looks like with regards to relational Wisdom. Relational wisdom. I'm going to read from a few verses from Philippians chapter 2. Once again, I read from some of those. Uh, I read from some of Philippians 2 for the assurance of pardon. But I'm going to read um, just prior to what I read earlier. Um, and then I will read from Matthew 7 verses 1 through 6. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours already in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and serving to the point of death, even death, on the cross. Jesus tells us, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have not left us in the darkness. You have not left us to our own ideas. You have not left us to our own imaginations. (laughs) And you particularly, Lord, have not left us to the talking heads on television in order to know what we are to believe and what we are to practice as your people who share the mind of Christ and who are empowered by our participation in the Holy Spirit to live lives that bear witness to the humble Christ, to the loving Christ, to the merciful Christ, to the Christ who laid down his life for the good of others. Help us, Lord, to hear Jesus. For we pray and ask this in his name. Amen. Last week, we took time to look at this passage from the perspective of what's not being taught because this is a very well-known, in terms of the words themselves, It's a very well-known passage that you will hear referenced all over the place. Judge not, judge not, lest you be judged. And as we looked at last week, this is not Jesus telling us that that we are to to live Pollyanna lives of, of just acting like everything is great and ignoring everything that is evil. This is not a command that we are to run off into the typical one of two extremes that most people, uh, uh, what, what most people do, and that is we are to not run off into the extreme uh, of of not caring about righteousness. We are not to run off into the extreme of not caring about justice. We're not to run off to the to that extreme of of just live and let live. But we are also not to run off into the extreme of being judgmental and, and developing a critical spirit. What Jesus is calling us to is, is to a right approach of how sinners live with sinners. And the reality is, beloved, within the body of Christ, within the kingdom of God, we live lives of accountability. We are accountable to God, and we are accountable to one another. This amazing gospel that we have in Jesus Christ and in being declared righteous by faith is not to then be abused by living however we want as we wait for Jesus to return. 
We are not to put our heads in the sand and act like there's nothing to be addressed, but we are also not called to be on alert in terms of of being quick, of always looking for what's off and ready ready to address it. And part of what the key here that Jesus is giving us is, is that the accountability with which we live is to begin with us. Now, what does that mean? It means within the body of Christ, for example, within the accountability in which we are to live, uh, as the scripture tells us with regards to doctrine, and with regards to our moral, ethical lives. That accountability that, that we live with, he says, first and foremost should be on my mind with regards to me. Quite typically, the accountability and this focus on doctrine and life is lived out more with me being concerned about you to the point that my concern for you often becomes an excuse for me to not deal with myself. Jesus here is telling us that when we approach things that way, we are being hypocrites he doesn't candy coat it he tells us what is what is the reality when you are so much more worked up over the speck that is in your brother's eye that you are ignoring the log in your own you are being a hypocrite now notice what he says here he doesn't say that there's not a speck in your brother's eye he says there is And he doesn't say, don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye. Because he tells us there is a way for you to help your brother with his speck. All right, are we clear on that? But he tells us if we're going to approach this biblically, we have to start with ourselves. We have to acknowledge that we have logs in our eyes. Now, part of what he's addressing there is that you and I, even within the kingdom of God, even as the recipients of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ received as a gift by faith, you and I still sin. This is why we have a time of confession of sin in our service. You and I, though counted righteous in Jesus Christ, still sin. We still live as sinners. And so the reality is, you and I sin against God. You and I continue to sin against our neighbor. You and I continue to sin against ourselves. And so Jesus here unfolds for us a a wise approach on how sinners live with God, with other sinners, and with your own sinful heart. 
because it requires wisdom. There are some things that God has revealed to us that are very clear and very black and white with regards to doctrine and life. But there are other matters that are not as clear. And it requires wisdom in knowing how to to live out God's truth, how to live out his beauty, how to live out his goodness within a fallen world as a sinner relating to other sinners. What you and I tend to do, or what we can tend to do, is to approach things in a very unwise fashion. And that is, one, we can forget that we are as sinful as we are. What's so interesting to me is when, when I've heard people, when I've done it, all right, forget about other people, when, when I have been quick to want to judge someone else's bad doctrine, Do you get the irony? What I'm doing is disregarding the clear instruction of Scripture that I am still a sinner. And because I am still a sinner, guess what? It it means that my faculties do not function as they are supposed to. God made us in his image. But when Adam and Eve fell into sin, our image became marred. It wasn't lost, but it became marred. And the result is that where God made us with the faculties of of our minds, with the faculty of our heart, with the, the faculty of our will, where he made these things to work together in such a way as to respond to his truth, goodness, and beauty and reflecting that back to him in our sin, we get it all messed up. Now, in the reform world, we love to think about that with regards to our emotions, right? Don't trust emotions. Watch out for emotions. If you get too much into the feelings of things, they're just going to lead you astray. You've got to... You've got to make sure that you focus on the truth. Well, guess what? Our minds are just as affected by the fall as our emotions. And we have absolutely zero reason to be any more confident of our thinking as we are of our feeling. Am I clear on that? That doesn't make me very popular, by the way, in certain reform circles. Our capacity to think and to reason and to observe and to assess, these things have been messed up by the fall. Now, within our sanctification This faculty is being renewed. Therefore, Paul tells us in Romans 12, renew your minds. So within our sanctification, 
we, we, we're not just counted righteous in Christ, but we're becoming righteous. And, and that means that we are able to grow in the use of our emotions, in our use of our mind, in our use of the will. We, we can grow. We can be godly. We can, we can actually embody God's truth, goodness, and beauty with these different faculties. But we cannot and we will not do it perfectly. And so what this means is I should always be functioning in a, within a very specific level of humility. I should live with an extreme awareness that I am not as smart as I think I am. I am to purposefully be cautious in the use of my mind. Now, I'm not being told don't use the mind. But one of the things Jesus is trying to get us to see is that you and I have a log in our eye. And it causes our eye not to see as clearly as we think we are seeing. Does our brother have a speck? Yes. But do we have a log? Absolutely. And so what Jesus tells us is we have to start with us. I have to live in my what we would call epistemic humility within my judgment of charity with regards to not being overly confident within my own abilities to observe and assess correctly. Within that, I am called to spend more time using those things with regards to myself and not being overly focused with my brother or with my sister. But see, even this right here, right? This is not do this or do that. It is not an either or structure. It is a both and. You are to be concerned for your brother, but make sure that you are at least as concerned about yourself, if not more concerned with yourself than with your brother. We are to be slow. We are to be, or to put it another way, we are to be quick to listen. We are to be quick in, in relating with other people by first relating to myself and relating to God. Can my brother or sister get off doctrinally? Absolutely. Can they find themselves trapped in some moral or ethical sin? Absolutely. But Jesus tells me, 
the first question I need to, to consider is, where am I with regards to that doctrine or with that issue of morality or ethics? Where am I? Am I living in the power of the resurrection of Christ? Am I embracing those things? Am, am I striving to embody those things? Where am I? And with regards to the church's place within the world, as we are participants in the mission of God, we are to be asking ourselves, where is the church with regards to to embracing and embodying God's truth, goodness, and beauty before we get worked up with where is the world. It doesn't mean that we don't ask where is the world. But beloved, as Peter tells us, judgment begins with the household of God. One of the most important words that, that so often, especially uh, with, within the church, I think has, 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 has been misused or, or misapplied or misunderstood is the word culture. Because so often, at least in the things that I read and the things that I hear, uh, when I hear the word culture being used, it's always being used in reference to the world, to the culture out there. And it's always being used with a negative assessment, and it's always being used as, as being something that is completely and utterly and totally wrong. Now, I'm not saying that it's not. But the church has a culture. An individual churches, local bodies that are expressions of Christ that are expressions of the kingdom of God, individual local churches develop cultures within themselves. Culture is the cumulative deposit of knowledge, experience, beliefs, values, attitudes, meanings, hierarchies, religion, notions of time, roles, spatial relations, concepts of the universe, material objects and possessions acquired by a group of people in the course of generations through individual and group striving. When we talk about culture, it's not just the world's culture. We have to acknowledge there is a culture in the church. For example, anyone that has, has gone on like a short-term missions trip, I have never met one person that went on a short-term mission trip that didn't come back and say, you know, one of the things that they observed is that the Christians in another part of the world, they were different. There were, there were different things that were really important to them versus the things that had been really important to the American Christians. And that one of the things, and this is one of the reasons that we push short-term missions is because you and I can, can what, what Jesus has been dealing with in the Sermon on the Mount is this reality that you and I get conditioned by the circumstances within which we live that play a role in determining how we live as Christians. 
And this is why in the Sermon on the Mount, what, what Jesus is doing is he, he, is, ta- he is taking the, this, this, this understanding that has been taught by, by the religious leaders, which is wrong, and he's picking it apart, and he's correcting it. And he's trying to help people realize that what they think is, is biblical living actually isn't. And that our moral imaginations have to be reformed according to God's word. Because the times in which we live, the, 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 the world in which we live, plays a role in shaping how we live. And we can't escape that. As someone who has lived in, in the South, as someone who has lived in South Florida, which ironically is not the South, even though it's further South. As someone who has lived in Pittsburgh, as someone who has lived in Okinawa, I can tell you that where you live and what is going on in those places And the times in which we live within history, they play a role in forming us and shaping us. And what Jesus is trying to get us to see is that we have to to learn to spot that stuff within ourselves before we get worked up about what others are doing. Worldliness expressed in the world is expected. Worldliness expressed in the church is not. And Jesus tells us we have to look at ourselves first. Then we look outside. It's not either or. It's both and. Every local church has a culture within it because the local church is made up of different individuals who have different experiences, who are part of different you know, places where they are in life in terms of their age, that, that bring with them the different experiences that they've had, whether they were raised in church or whether they were raised in homes that weren't Christian, whether they were raised in Baptist homes versus if they were raised in Presbyterian homes, whether they were raised uh, within American evangelicalism or they grew up a missionary kid in China. There are all these different experiences that you and I bring together within this group And if we are not purposefully subjecting all of it to the word of God, then what happens is local churches start to develop a culture that is based more on shared values within the earthly realm rather than the heavenly realm. We are ambassadors of the heavenly realm because in Christ we are already raised up and seated with him in the heavenlies. We are already those partaking of his exaltation. We are no longer citizens merely of this world. We are citizens of the world to come. And we are ambassadors of that world. And so we have to constantly 
be on guard that we are developing within ourselves, that we are maintaining within ourselves, that we are valuing within ourselves the realities of the values and the virtues of the heavenly places so that we can manifest that to one another within the church and that we can then manifest that to the world. We start with us. And so Jesus tells us, deal with the log in your eye. Because if you ignore your log in order to deal with your neighbor's speck, you will develop a culture of hypocrisy and self-righteousness. Self-righteous, a self-righteous spirit manifests itself in so many different ways and, and overconfidence in our abilities of being able to assess ourselves, let alone being able to assess others. A self-righteous spirit will reveal itself by being too quick to form opinions when we don't have all of the facts or where we're not paying attention to the surrounding circumstances. A self-righteous spirit will reveal itself when not only are we too quick to form an opinion, but we develop opinions that are stronger than what is actually warranted. A self-righteous spirit will reveal itself in a tendency towards a hypocritical assessment where we will get on to others for the very things that we allow to go on within ourselves. Jerry Bridges uh, wrote a book called Respectable Sins. He's not advocating that there are sins that are respectable. What he's saying is every group of believers develop within themselves what are the sins that they will not allow and what are the sins that they will allow. For example, we will not allow, uh, what? What's your favorite sin, Kelly? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> we, we, will not, we will not put up with um, Well, no, that's a, okay, dancing. <laughs> All right, we're not going to put up with dancing. But we will put up with gossip. Right? We won't put up with, uh, I don't know, drawing a blank. <laughs> uh, yeah, if I get too specific, I'll show my hand. You do it within your homes, by the way. You do it. You do it within your own heart. There, there are certain sins that I'm aware of that are going on within myself that I just, I'm just like, eh, not a big deal. Even though it was a big enough deal for Jesus to die for it, I will assess it as, mm, it's not as big of a deal. But. You know, some other sins. Oh, we're not going to allow that at all. Every, every group 
develops this, by the way. This is a group dynamic reality, regardless of if it's a faith-based group or not. There's a group reality where there, where there are virtues and values that, that are pressed, that are repeated, that are expected, and there are others that are overlooked. And what Jesus tells us is we don't get to overlook any of it. And this is why we start with ourselves first. A spirit of self-righteousness will reveal itself when, when preferences are being used for making decisions instead of principles. Where personalities become determinative of what takes place rather than principle. When we assume a role that is not ours to assume. When we assume a role that we are incapable of exercising. These are all ways that this self-righteous spirit will, will, will reveal itself. And so what Jesus calls us to over and over and over again is we are to look in the mirror at ourselves. And as James says, we are not to be the one who looks in the mirror, who walks away and forgets what we have seen. Because we are not just to know the word in order to judge others on the basis of the word. We are to be ourselves, the doers of the word. And so God in Christ tells us we start with ourselves before God. Then, we deal with ourselves within ourselves. Then we deal with those relationships that we have with others. And what we are called to do in those relationships is to serve them as more important than ourselves which means we're not quick to assess sin in their lives and then run out and make sure that we put it in their face so that we feel better about I'm being faithful to God. But that instead, we are quick to run to the mirror. We are quick to pray the prayers that we, the prayer of Psalm 139 that we looked at last week. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Know my anxious thoughts and reveal to me how I am to grow in my godliness. And we start with ourselves before we get locked into our neighbor. And then we are willing to have a loving, gentle conversation with our neighbor. If what we are seeking is his or her good. Not my appearance of being right. So we start with God, we, we move to ourselves, then we move to our neighbor. Am I experiencing God's truth, goodness, and beauty within my life? Am I embracing that 
within my life? Am I embodying that within my life? Am I modeling God's truth? Am I living a life that my neighbor needs to see before I speak to my neighbor about where I think they're messing up? And then Jesus tells us, we're going to close here. I thought we were going to get through it. We're not. Part of the wisdom, the relational wisdom that Christ is unfolding for us here is that there is a time to speak and there is a time not to. There is a way to speak and there is a way not to. Lord willing, we'll take that up. But beloved, here's the deal. Anytime this coming week where something has happened and you're tempted, I'm going to I'm going to get on social media and tell the world what I think about it. You got to start with you. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm not saying don't offer wisdom. But you've got to ask yourself, do I have the doctrinal or moral grounds to speak publicly on this? Or does my own heart betray to me that this is not a word for me to share with others, but I need to start with myself? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you know what runs around in my own heart with regards to my my own hypocrisy. You know the struggles of being much more ready to assess others and to leave myself an out. To assess others way more harshly than is appropriate. Either appropriate given the the issue I'm concerned about or the appropriateness of the assumption that I'm capable of even knowing what I think I know, let alone rendering that level of judgment. But Lord, protect us not only from from a self-righteous spirit, but protect us, Lord, from a fear of speaking. Protect us from the opposite extreme of, of indulging sin. Protect us from the other extreme of of overlooking sin. And especially, Lord, protect us from being fearful of addressing the sacred cows here within this congregation. Lord, history is littered with unchecked evil of man that so often took place when the church remained silent and when the church participated because it was going to be costly to go against what was taking place. And so, Lord, help us here at Grace Covenant Church to to develop a culture that reflects our name 
that we would be committed to you, committed to one another, and committed to our own hearts in living in the power of your grace by which you have united us to Christ, made us one with him, and have granted us his mind, whereby we can exercise his humility and not looking for our own glory, but seeking after the good of others, even when it is costly to the point of death. And so, Lord, help us not to fear the world, but also help us not to fear one another. And help us within this body to look at ourselves in the mirror and strive to live in that humble, loving accountability wherewith we live in the relational wisdom that leads to the mutual building up of one another so that we become the the kind of church that truly not only embraces and embodies but extends the realities of Christ and what he has secured in the heavenly realm. Father, help us to indeed be ambassadors of that realm in all that we say, in all that we do, in the virtues of our hearts and the values and practices of your people. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.